Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Luke. The Gospel Record of Luke in chapter number 22. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 22. We have followed the Lord Jesus Christ through His earthly ministry as recorded through the Gospel Record of Luke. And now we have watched as Jesus has entered into the city of Jerusalem for the last time, making His triumphant entry. We have witnessed, as the Gospel Record of Luke has recorded, that Jesus preached in the temple every day. And during that time, there was a line that was crossed, that the Pharisees crossed, where they're no longer just seeking to counteract Jesus. They are now in full denial and they are planning on killing Jesus. The problem is, is that the crowds are still surrounding Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ is very popular. And so they don't feel like they could go arrest Jesus in the middle of a crowd. And so they have a conundrum. They don't know Jesus' schedule. They don't know where to find him. That every time they've gone around him, he's always had a crowd. Well, their desires and prayers were answered when Jesus, one of Je- uh, Je- Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, came to them and came up with a plan of how to deliver Jesus to them where the crowds were not around, where they could arrest Jesus and not have to f- fight a riding crowd. Judas, who knew Jesus Christ, was there with Jesus as they observed the Last Supper and he snuck out in the middle of it, knowing that Jesus Christ had made plans to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and pray. Judas went and began to gather up the Roman soldiers under the command of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and Judas is now preparing them to march. Meanwhile, Jesus has taken his disciples and he has taken time to teach them and give them instructions on how to continue to operate without Jesus Christ beside them in human body, uh, how they can continue to move forward to get God's work accomplished when Jesus Christ is gone. And now they've made themselves down the valley. So remember Jerusalem is built on hills. They went outside of Jerusalem through the east gate. They go down to the Valley of Kindred, go back up to the next mountain, the Mount of Olives. And in the Mount of Olives, there is a garden called Gethsemane, a favorite praying place of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's prayed here before. And we now find just a couple of hours before Jesus Christ is arrested and is going to be put on a legal trial. He is going to be crucified on a cross. Just a few hours away, we pick up the account as Jesus Christ has made it to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. Notice with me in the Gospel record of Luke in chapter 22. The Gospel record of Luke chapter 22, and notice with me in verse 39. Gospel record of Luke chapter 22 and verse 39. And he, Jesus, came out and went. And as he went to the Mount of Olives, his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray ye, enter not into temptation. 
And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he arose from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. And while he yet spake, behold a multitude. And he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? And when they which were about him saw that he would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, Be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves? When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. And if you have a marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Luke and chapter number 22? The gospel record of Luke chapter 22, and notice with me in verse number 40. The gospel record of Luke chapter 22 and verse number 40, pray ye that ye enter not into temptation. And then verse 46, we see it repeated, pray lest ye enter into temptation. And with this, we're going to have this idea as Jesus repeated this to his disciples, pray lest ye enter temptation. Pray lest ye enter temptation. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we're reminded that this isn't just a story. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a mythology. It's not a fable. This is history. This is what was recorded. This is what happened. And we're just reading through the historical account. I'm asking as we observe this historical account that we could also learn spiritual truths. And see, as you were trying to instruct your disciples... You give us the same instruction. Help us to learn and understand the very power of prayer that you were trying to get across. To see the lessons here that we could learn for ourselves. That we can learn how to pray lest we enter into temptation. Lord, again, I don't trust my own. I don't have the ability. So the best I know how I surrender my thoughts, my opinions, my ambitions, my goals. What I want to get accomplished. What I want to see done. I give those all to you. And ask that you fill me with your precious spirit for the purpose that you get your own work accomplished through your word. Thank you that you hear and answer prayers. Help encourage and strengthen our prayer life because 
of this message now. In your name we pray. Amen. As we approach this passage and we witness and uh, overview this situation in the Garden of Gethsemane, let's start off by seeing Jesus' prayers. Jesus' prayers. Notice, if you don't mind, as we pick it back up in verse number 39. And he, Jesus, went out and went as he want. That word want is an important word here. It carries the idea as he was custom, as he was in the habit of doing. This is how Judas knew where Jesus was going because Jesus had made a habit that when he came to Jerusalem, this is where he would take time to pray. We had saw that earlier in the gospel record of Luke and one of uh, the times that Jesus was at Jerusalem. This is where he went to pray. There was a spot that he came to often, a place where he went and spent time with the Lord. By the way, you should have a pray place, a closet, somewhere where you go, where you're accustomed to go and talking with the Lord, where you're in the habit of speaking to him, where you know this is the time where I meet with God. You should make it a place. It shouldn't be the same place where you play Facebook. Shouldn't be the same place where you check email. It should be your own place where you say, this is my spot where I get alone with God. This is my spot and I don't want to defile it. I want to make sure that when I come to here, this is what my mind is on. That I'm coming to speak with God. That's my purpose. That's why I'm here. I don't want to muddle it with something else. I don't want to train my body to say, well, if this is where I check Facebook, then when I'm praying, I should be checking Facebook. This is my time where I'm here and I'm thinking about prayer. I'm thinking about God. I'm not allowing myself to be distracted. That's what we're seeing Jesus doing is he's come to this place and this is the place where he went aside to pray. It wasn't where he went aside to preach. It wasn't where he was up here necessarily teaching. It was where he came to pray. Notice as we go on in verse number 39. Uh, and, he, uh, and he came out and went as he want to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. Jesus brought his disciples and notice what he instructs in verse 40. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. Now may I remind you that Jesus Christ is the God of the universe and he knows everything. Jesus Christ has tried to get across to his disciples how important this day and this hour is. He's tried to instruct them that when he comes to Jerusalem, he is going to be arrested, put in a false trial, he's going to be put to death, and he's going to rise again the third day. But his disciples have missed the point over and over. And one last time, Jesus is seeing in a matter of hours, he's going to be crucified. In a matter of hours, the disciples are going to be left without Jesus. In a matter of hours, the disciples are are going to flee. And he gives this warning to them. Pray. Lest you enter into temptation. We understand that Jesus is not the only one. Who is going to go through a temptation. But the disciples themselves. Imagine how heartbreaking it is to Jesus. To say listen. You need to pray that you don't enter into temptation. Knowing they are not going to listen. And they are going to enter into temptation. The heartbreaking idea that they're going to fail me. In a matter of hours, these boys that I've invested three and a half years of my life are going to abandon me. Listen, I'm trying to tell you how important it is for you to pray. I'm telling you how important it is for you to pray now that the matter of history is going to be decided here in a matter of hours based off of your prayer life. 
They didn't realize how important their prayers really are. And may I also say that we often don't realize how important our prayer life really is. We don't realize that our prayer life affects history. It affects so many things. And we're oblivious to the fact of how important our prayers really are. Notice, if you don't mind, as we continue on, verse number 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. Now, we know the other gospel records give more uh, explanation that what Jesus did is he told the, 12, the 11 that was with him, Hey, boys, we're going to pray. This is important. Pray that lest you enter in temptation. Then he leaves most of the crowd behind and he takes with him Peter, James, and John. They go further up the mountain. Then he tells them to stay here and he goes about a stone's throw. So he leaves those three there and goes a little bit further to pray by himself. And so Jesus is kneeling down and he's praying by himself, expecting that everyone else is taking this time to pray. Notice what is he praying? Notice in verse 42. Saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now, again, Jesus Christ is 100% God. He knew what was going to happen in a matter of hours. This was not a surprise. In fact, because he was God, this is something he knew it was going to happen all of his life. When he was 12 years old, he knew what he was going to happen. And because he is God, he knows all the pain and agony that he is going to suffer. He knows all the betrayal. He knows the beating, the scourging, the crucifixion. He knows the pain he is about ready to go. Jesus Christ, who is 100% God, is also 100% man. And because he's 100% man, the flesh does not want to go through it. We can understand that. If you knew that tomorrow that something was going to happen that was going to leave you in bad pain, would you choose not to go through it? If you had the choice? I don't want to suffer. I don't want to pain. In fact, may I tell you that Jesus Christ, he was scourged. That means they took a cat of nine tails, a whip with nine lashes, that at the end of it, it had hooks and barbs and glass, things that would actually pierce the skin and cut them. Normally, someone who went to the cross was not scourged, but Jesus Christ was scourged, made fun of, and put on the cross. On the cross, when they put him up on the cross, we'll go more into detail later, they're actually going to nail, hammer these nails into his wrist. Inside of the wrist, you have the median nerve, which is the most sensitive nerve in your body. In fact, it runs through your elbow. If you hit your elbow run, uh, it gives a nice ting. We call it the funny bone, but it is not funny. Inside of here is the most sensitive nerve of all the body. It hurts. So when he was nailed on the cross, it, um, it's like taking a piece of pliers and just twisting that nerve, that electrical signals going through your body. It's bad. When someone died on the cross, it was so painful they had to invent a brand new word to describe the pain. And that word is excruciating. That word excruciating literally means out from the cross. Jesus Christ knew that he was going to go through the worst pain someone can ever go through between the scourging, the beatings, the betrayal, put on the cross, and then God turning his back on his son. If you knew that you were going to go through the worst pain anyone has ever suffered, would you be looking forward to it? 
Of course not. It's natural that we would avoid pain as much as possible. So when Jesus Christ is praying this, this is a prayer because he's 100% human. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. That is a reasonable prayer. Lord, if there's any way for me not to go through this pain, let's do that. If there's some other way, but notice what he did as an example. Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. This is an example of dying to self. What is dying to self? It is dying to your ambitions, your goals, your desires, your wants. And letting it be replaced with God's wants, God's desires, God's goals, God's things. Like you said, Lord, not my will, but thine. Whatever you want, I want that. It's not what I want, it's whatever you want. Jesus Christ, knowing that he's going to go through the worst pain in human history, says, God, I surrender to what I want. If this is what you have for me, I'm willing to do it. What an amazing God. And again, giving us this example. By the way, as a reminder, where and how is he doing this? Through prayer. Through prayer. He's talking to God in prayer and surrendering himself to God. We have this recorded for us, not my will, but thine. Then notice in verse 43. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Why is this important? Because there's no one on earth that could strengthen Jesus at this time. So God sent an angel to strengthen him. His mother couldn't strengthen him. His disciples couldn't strengthen their sleep. They couldn't strengthen him. Where was he going to get help? Where was he going to get encouragement? Not from this human plane. So God sent an angel to come and to pray for him. God is giving him relief. God is giving him comfort. God is giving him the strength to go on. Then notice again, he prays again. Verse number 44. And being in agony. Why is he in agony? Because he knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen to the disciples. He knows what's going to happen to him. He's being in agony. He knows what's going on. This process of dying to self. This process of giving up his will. His process of giving this and surrendering him. Being in agony. He prayed more earnestly. Jesus is serious about it. This isn't a passing prayer. This isn't a prayer that just kind of floats about. This isn't a prayer that, you know, okay, Lord, if you do this, thanks. If not, you know, well, I'll go about my day. This is life and death. This is the pinnacle, the peak of human history. All of history has come to this one point in time for the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And Jesus is feeling that burden. He is feeling that weight. Notice what happens. Being in agony, he prayed the more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is an actual medical thing that happened. It's called hemodrosis. It's associated with a high degree of psychological stress. The severe anxiety causes a release of chemicals that break 
down the capillaries inside of the skin. If you remember human anatomy that you have going from your heart, an artery, artery goes away from the heart. Then it goes down into smaller arteries until it turns to the capillaries. The capillaries are the smallest vessels. They carry the oxygen from the red blood cells into the skin cells. Then what happens? The capillaries now turn into veins and the veins come back into the body. So the capillaries are the smallest blood vessels. And what happens is because of this, uh, psychological stress, biochemicals released, and these capillaries burst. And as they burst, because they're already on the very edge of the skin, as they burst, the blood now goes into the skin cells, into the sweat glands. And now as he's praying, and he's praying earnestly, he's praying fervently. This word fervently carries the idea heated and passionately. That it may be a cool night in the garden, but he is heated up bodily and he's praying earnestly and he's getting a hold of God and he's surrendering himself and putting to mind that I am going to be crucified. These great drops of blood begin to mix with the sweat and begin to run down his face. This is going to cause another medical condition that as this capillaries break and this chemical there, it's going to make his his skin like paper thin, like sometimes you'll see it in older people that if they have a piece of tape and pull it off, it actually tear their skin because their skin is so fragile. This is going to be a condition. So this is going to make the crucifixion, this is going to make the beating, the scourging even worse because his skin is easily torn right now. But this is the start of it. He begins to sweat, great drops of blood. He's already starting to lose volume of blood, which will be important later on. He's starting to become a little dehydrated, medically speaking. And he's praying because this is a serious thing. This is a serious matter. He's praying, getting a hold of God, asking God to help. He's realizing that all of human history is here. The weight on his shoulders. And he is saying, not my will, but thine. You say, how can God say this? Because he was 100% human. And as if you were there, and if you knew everything, you'd be asking the same thing. If there's any other way to get out of this, I don't want to hurt. But Lord, because I love you, I'm surrendering. If this is what you want, I'm willing to do so. And because it's so serious and so fervent, so much weight, we see it coming out physically in the great drops of blood coming as he sweats. We go from Jesus' prayer to the disciples' sleep. Notice with me, if you don't mind, as we go to verse number 45. And when he, Jesus, rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping. The other gospel records explain that this happens three times, that Jesus comes back and sees the boy sleeping. Get up! Trying to say, come on, this is important. You don't understand how important your prayers are. And he goes back and Jesus prays some more. Comes back a second time, they're sleeping again. Come on, guys! Can you imagine how disheartening? Again, this is all spiritual warfare. But Jesus Christ is praying the most important time of his life. The pinnacle of human history. He knows he's going to suffer. He knows he's going to die. And his disciples are sleeping. They don't realize the weight that Jesus has. They don't realize the importance that is being heard. They've been ignoring Jesus and just arguing among themselves. 
They've missed everything and he's warned them. They don't realize how important their prayers are right now. Their prayers do matter. If they didn't matter, Jesus would just let them sleep. Instead, he wakes them up. Listen, I need you to pray. I need you to pray. I need you to pray. Why does he need them to pray? Verse 46. And he said to them, Why sleep ye? Rise up and pray. Why? Lest ye enter into temptation. He says, I need you to sleep. I need you to wake up. I need you to pray. This is important. This is vital. Rise up and pray lest you enter into temptation. Now, interesting enough, the gospel record of Luke gives us the reason why they are sleeping. Notice with me in verse 45 again. And when he arose from prayer, he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Why? For sorrow. For sorrow. Realize that the disciples have had a very busy week. Not only have they been with Jesus, and Jesus has been performing miracles, Jesus has been preaching, they've also dealt with the Pharisees criticizing Jesus. They've heard Jesus speaking to them and coming up the hill and telling them that, I'm going to go, guys. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And if it was, uh, I'm coming back for you and I'm, I'm going to take you with me. And they're like, where are you going? I'm going to heaven. Well, how do we know how to get there? Well, if you're saved, you're going to automatically go there. You don't have to find the way. Uh, he's trying to explain to them. He's trying to explain them that I'm going to go, and, but I'm going to send another comforter to you. Uh, Gospel record of John 13 through 17 speaks about this conversation. Now, remember, they've also had a big meal. They just had the Passover meal. They've had a lot of weight. And it's now in the middle of the night. Midnight, one o'clock. And to be honest, at midnight, one o'clock, none of you would be awake either. Especially if you're in a cool garden, full belly, exhausted. It's very easy to go to sleep. We're not kicking the disciples. We're understanding. They're broken hearted. They can tell that Jesus has been earnest. He's been trying to say, boys, I'm not going to be here. And they're broken hearted. They don't quite understand it all, but they're exhausted. They're tired. They could see that Jesus is trying to get something across to them. They could feel the weight. They could feel the pressure. And they went to sleep. All 11 of them sleeping. Jesus wakes them up a couple times, tells them to watch and pray. The word watch means to fast from sleep. Boys, I need you to wake up. I need you to be alert. Why? Lest ye enter into temptation. The second time he has told them this. Listen, boys, you don't realize it right now. But I need you alert and I need you praying because all of history is about ready to unfold. And you're going to have a part into it. And I need you to do what is right. I need you to be ready to respond spiritually. Not out of the flesh. I need you to be ready to go. And they're sleeping. They're sleeping. They didn't realize all this. In fact, they're so out of it. They don't even know that their master has been sweating great drops of blood. You think one of them would be awake enough if they looked up and said, whoa, what happened to you? To see the bloodline speed running down his face. To see him a little bit discolored. To see the exhaustion. To see that even his skin has started to change just a bit. He's looking quite a bit older. Instead of being 33 years of age and body, he's probably looking 50 or 60. Just the physical change of just the praying 
in his skin. And yet they're so tired they're not even noticing the basic things. The physical transformation. The agony that Jesus has gone through. The countenance of his face. None of them looks at, oh, what's the matter with you? Have you ever been that tired you don't notice things around you? I mean, you want to try to kick the disciples, but we really can't because we'd all be there too. But again, Jesus has done everything he can to try to say this is important. You know, sometimes we don't realize how important our prayers really are and the times to pray. Oh, it's no big deal if I don't pray when it could be matter the whole world can matter on that one prayer. It could be the whole church, your whole life is going to be decided in a few hours. And because you're not prayed up, because you're not ready, you're not ready to face the trial, the temptation, the thing that you're about ready to face. We don't realize how important our prayers are in helping us to be ready to respond properly. Which brings us to the master's betrayal. The master's betrayal. Verse number 47. And while he, Jesus, yet spake, behold a multitude that was called Judas. Now, in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's on top of a hill. Overlooking the hill is Jerusalem. And between the hill is the Valley of Kidron, the Kidron Valley. The way and the place where Jesus Christ was praying, it was facing Jerusalem. And as he was praying, Jesus can watch in the middle of the night, a line of torches coming from Jerusalem and starting to walk its way up to the hill. Can you imagine... You're praying, knowing that your end is coming and you're watching the people who are coming to arrest you coming up the hill to watch that little line of snake of fire winding its way down the path through the valley coming up to the Lord Jesus Christ. To watch this and know that your arrest is coming closer and closer and closer and watching that and praying And turning around as they're coming up the hill and say, disciples, get up. (laughs) Trying to at least get them up before Judas gets there. There's a lot going on here. Jesus wakes them up, watches this multitude. Then notice what happens, verse 47. And while he yet spake, behold a multitude. Notice there's a lot of people here. This isn't just a couple of soldiers. This is a lot of soldiers. In fact, it's going to give a rundown of who's all there in verse 52. And Jesus said unto the chief priest and the captains of the temple and the elders. And then there's Judas. And then there's all the soldiers. There's a lot of people that's come. So again, when we say that line of torches that have been coming, Jesus is watching this line of torches. It's not one or two or three. There's a whole group of people that's winding its way. Coming up towards them. As they get close, Jesus wakes up the disciples. Wake up, guys. I need you prayed up now because it is go time. I hope that you're prayed up, that you enter not to temptation because in just a second, you are going to find out if you're in the flesh or if you're dead to self. In just a couple of seconds, boys, you are going to respond. And you're either going to respond for God or you're going to respond for self-preservation. You're going to respond in pride or you're going to respond in the spirit. Boys, this is your time. It's all over now. Pray that you enter not temptation. While you're standing up right now, pray, 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 pray. And so the multitude arrives. He that is called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them. He's leading the pack and drew near unto Jesus, and notice this, to kiss him. 
Now, this is where we tie in something. The Bible says that the blood of Jesus Christ is able to save to the uttermost. And if you can remember when Jesus has been praying, great uh, uh, drops of blood have been on his face. When Judas kissed Jesus, that precious blood was on Judas's lips. That same blood that could have saved Judas and forgiven him of all of his sins are on his lips. You see, when Judas betrayed Jesus, and by the way, he had never accepted Jesus as Savior. He had never been saved. What does it mean to be saved? What it means that we come to the place where we realize that we're sinners. And by the way, we're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have missed the mark. Every single one of us have fallen short of God's standard of perfection. The Bible says that because of our sins, we owe God a great price. We owe God to be separated from Him for all eternity. And when we die, there's only two places to go. A wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. Because of our sin, we deserve to go to an awful place called hell. It's not fun to say, but it is a true statement. And that in order for you to be saved, you also have to believe what the Bible says that you deserve to go to hell. Otherwise, there's nothing to save you from. Every one of us have sinned and every one of us deserve hell. But to be saved, you have to realize something else, that Jesus died for you. That Jesus shed his blood to pay for your sins and mine. And then fourthly, I must personally accept Jesus to be my Savior. There are many people who believe that they're sinners. There are many people who believe that they deserve to go to hell. There are many people who even believe that Jesus died for them. But they have never personally accepted Jesus as their Savior. Did Judas believe that there were sinners? Did Judas believe that there was a price to be paid because of your sin? Did he believe that Jesus was the Son of God? He did. But he had never personally trusted Jesus to be his Savior. For whatever reason, Judas had never trusted. Three years of hearing Jesus preach, he never trusted Jesus as a Savior. And the same blood that could have washed him clean of all of his sins was on his lips. And he still never trusted Christ. Never came to the place where he personally asked Jesus to forgive him of his sins. You imagine that is a big weight. That Judas is in hell now. Could you imagine that realization that that same blood could have kept me from this burning place? This blood that's on my lips. That's one of the biggest tragedies of this whole story. Is that the blood was on his lips but it was never applied to his heart. He could have been saved and he was that close. He betrayed Jesus, kissed him, and that blood was on his lips. Verse 48. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? And they which were about him saw what would follow. Notice this. (laughs) The disciples now are awake. I meant, nothing like getting wake to a start when you're like trying to slowly wake up and then you're surrounded by soldiers. 
They're starting to realize what's going on. They saw what's going to follow and they're like, Jesus, what do we do? We're getting your directions from you. Now remember, earlier above he said that, you know, you need to have a, if you have a garment, sell it and get a sword. And they all do an inventory of two swords. So they got the two swords. We got two swords. Can we take them? What do you want us to do? I mean, that, that instant when you wake up and you're not thinking right and you're just trying to process information. What do we do? What do we do? Okay, give us, what do we do? This is not going to be good. They're expecting a brawl. They're expecting a big fight. They're counting all the soldiers and see how outnumbered they are. They see that they're Roman. By the way, what, what, um, how much of a chance do a bunch of fishermen have against professional Roman soldiers? What are we going to do? They saw what's going to follow. They're trying to think of plans, trying to think of the way out. How do we get out of this? And Jesus is trying to say, listen, we're fine, but as this is happening, what do we do? What do we do? Shall we smite with the sword? And one of them, we find later that this is Peter, smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. So Peter swinging. Well, granted, he's very, very tired. Just woke up and to start. What are, they're like, Jesus, what do we do? Peter says, I got this. Cut off the guy's ear. You said, why did he cut off his ear? I personally believe he missed. He was going for his neck and missed. I mean, it's midnight. You just woke up with a start and you're surrounded by people. I mean, he could be a great swordsman, but if you're tired, a miss is a miss. I mean, that's not much defending. He cut off some guy's ear. He, he, he messed up again. Jesus answered and said, suffer ye thus far. The word suffer, remember in old English, carries the idea of allow this. Boys, don't fight this. Allow it to happen. Don't fight this. And so he touched his ear and healed him. It says in a death gospel record that Jesus goes by, boys, don't do this. Picks up the ear, puts it on Malchus, that's his name, the soldier, puts it back on and heals it. Do you think Malchus looked at Jesus a little bit different after this? What just happened here? Wow. Honey, is there a scar? I bet you he did that when he went home. Honey, is there a scar there? Boys, do you see that? Did you guys see that too? I had my ear cut off. Nuh-uh. No scar. I meant... The disciples, now everything's falling apart. Jesus says, listen, let it happen. Well, what do you do now? We thought we're here to fight Jesus. Jesus said, let it happen. What do we do? How, do? how do we respond? Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and the captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, Be ye come out as against a thief and with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. So Jesus looks at everybody who came and listen. I've been down at the city every day. It wasn't that I was hiding. I was publicly preaching. You talk to me every day. And yet you come out to me in the middle of the night when no one's around. Cowards. Don't worry, this needs to happen. At this time, the other gospel records say the disciples split. They took off running. And the soldiers led them. They weren't after the disciples. They were after Jesus. They all took off running. Now Jesus is all by himself. Surrounded by an army. And they lead him back to Jerusalem. For a false trial that we'll see tonight about what made it a false trial. There's a lot of things that come here. A lot of things that happen. But what do we learn about this? The emphasis here is prayer. 
So what are four truths that we can learn about prayer from this story here? From this historical account. What are four prayer, things about prayer that we can apply to our life because of this? First of all, prayer gives strength that is available for the will of God. Prayer gives strength that is available for the will of God. There are plenty of things that's God's will that we don't have the strength to do ourselves. Maybe it's to witness to someone and you're shaking knees or knocking and you know that you're supposed to talk to someone and I just I, I can't. God can help you if you pray. He can give you strength to do the things that you know God's will to do. That's why oftentimes we'll ask for God to give people strength and courage to respond to God. Because there's sometimes that we just need strength. Lord, you told me I'm supposed to obey something and I just don't want to and I don't think I have the ability of myself. Prayer can give you strength that you normally wouldn't have to be able to follow God's will. A second thing is that prayer allows us to deal with the weakness of fellow believers. Prayer allows us to deal with the weakness of fellow believers. Imagine that you were in Jesus' spot. You weren't, but let's just imagine you were. And let's just imagine you're in your human flesh. And the people that are supposed to be watching your back are sleeping. If you were you and not Jesus, would that be a, quite of a bit of a discouragement? Would you not be tempted to go kick someone in the side and elbow drop someone and like, what are you doing? And maybe wake them up and tear them a new one and say, listen here, you failed me. You let me down. People do fail us. Christians fail us. How do we handle that in prayer? Prayer allows us to deal with the failure and the weakness of other believers. Otherwise, Christianity would be horrible if we just attacked it. Because you know what? We're all sinners saved by grace. We all have issues, every single one of us. How do we deal with someone that has issues? Prayer. Prayer allows us to deal with the weakness of others. Otherwise, we just want to tear everybody up and rip them apart because they're not perfect. Because they're not right. Because they're not where we should be. Prayer allows us to deal with others. If you find yourself where you're starting to get aggravated because someone is not as perfect as you think they are, instead of yelling at them, go to prayer. Lord, you showed lots of patience with me. Help me to have patience with them. Go to prayer. What's another truth that we learn about prayer in here? Prayer helps us to handle the wicked. Prayer helps us to handle the wicked. Jesus said, suffer them. Allow this to happen. That's not our normal response. If you had the power of God and someone wanted to arrest you and put you on the cross, lightning bolts everywhere. Lightning bolt for you, lightning bolt for you, lightning. Let's open up the earth and swallow everybody up. Let's show them. That's our normal response. You know, we live in a time now where we have news around the clock. You could hear about what goofball is doing, what stupid thing all the time. The world is wicked. The world's always been wicked. We just have more access to it. And we listen about what stupid thing here and what stupid thing here. And we get to the place that if we're not prayed up and right, we get so angry. 
And we want to just wring everyone's neck and bring down. And we concentrate in all the evil around us. The world's always been evil and is always going to be evil. In fact, it's going to get worse. How do we deal with it? Prayer. Prayer helps us to deal with the wicked. Something else. Prayer helps us to helps bring a more mature view of the work of God. Prayer helps bring a more mature view of the work of God. What do we mean by this? Well, in our flesh, we want God to give short-range answers. And we don't want to suffer. We don't want to hurt. We don't want anything bad to happen to us. When we learn to pray and talk with God, we can also see that God is sitting on the throne. God knows what he's doing. We spoke about this in Sunday school this morning. God knows what he's doing. And prayer helps us to recognize God has a plan. I mean, if you went to the disciples and said, hey, guess what? Jesus is going to die on the cross. The most horrible thing that could happen to you is going to happen. How about that? The disciples are not liking that information. But if you explain, listen, Jesus has to die to forgive us of our sins. It has to happen. The worst thing that happened turned to be the greatest thing that happened to the rest of us. We can go to heaven because of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. We understand there's a principle of treasures in darkness that the worst things that happen to us can turn to be the greatest things that happen to us if it brings us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's prayer that brings us to that place to look at things with maturity. It's a way that we won't get there any other things. Maybe it's a child that's suffering with sickness. It's hard to say how God could do something like this. But when you say God knew what he was doing the whole time. That comes when we learn to pray. And see God's work in a mature eyes. That we can allow God and be patient with God. At least on our end. To do what he sees as best. Instead of demanding that God fix it now. And God work now as we saw in Sunday school. These are some of the truths that we find about prayer. Again, you don't realize that when you pray, it could be the most important time of prayer that you have in your life. Because you may not know what's going around the corner. You may not know what's coming in a matter of hours. And if you're not prayed up, if you're not right with God in your prayer time, you may not respond properly when something happens. You may not react properly When the unimaginable hits. You may not deal with someone in a godly way when they act foolish in front of you. You may not respond properly in front of others when the wicked show themselves to be wicked. There's something that comes when people are right with God and they're prayed up. That when things happen around them, they respond properly. People are looking for that type of Christian. People are tired of hearing about a Christian. They want to meet one. Let me tell you, you cannot live the Christian life on your own. But God can live through you as you surrender, as you learn to pray, as you learn to talk with him. You don't know. It could be the most important thing that's going to happen in all of your life happens this afternoon. And how you respond to it is going to be based off of how your prayer life is. Our prayer life is so important. And that's what we find here in this historical account of the Garden of Gethsemane. 
So let me ask you a couple questions. First of all, do you know 100% sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior? Has the blood been applied here? Do you know for sure that your sins are forgiven? If not, good news, friend, I can show you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven. But for those of you who are saved and those of you who are Christians, how's your prayer life? Is your prayer life helping you mature? Or is your prayer life so weak and anemic and pathetic that you have no power that comes from it? That you don't respond well to outside stimuli? Let me tell you, prayer is where we have it at. Prayer comes with the power of God. As we're getting a hold of Him and letting Him be in charge. As we surrender our will and let God be God. It helps us to deal properly with the world around us. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.